This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. Local productions seen on Delta College Public Media are made possible with support from viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Junior Doan's The Spark. I'm Junior Doan and thrilled you are joining me today. My guest is Andrew Schoenborn. Andrew is an English language arts teacher whose experience is vast and varied. His main objective is to teach and facilitate literacy by using methods that focus on student-centered critical thinking, digital collaboration, and multimedia means. Welcome, Andy. Andy, what are you passionate about today in this period of your life? You know, I have spent a lot of my life um, working to try to make other people's lives better, whether it's through teaching, through writing, through learning. Um, I, I take a lot of pride in helping people get to where they want to be. Um, that's evident in lots of different things that I've done, whether it's the classroom or it's working with the National Writing Project or working through different state organizations. And I think in the, in the next few months or so, I think my shift, my focus is going to shift a bit more. I still want to be able to help people and work with people, but I want to change that shift a little bit from just going out and doing whatever other people want and doing a little bit of what I want to do and reaching people out and helping them that way too. I think one thing that holds true as a writer I know, and it's a little bit scary to think about, um, but as a writer, I know that what you put out into the world kind of comes back to you and you worry sometimes about what the audience might think. However, there is an audience for whatever ideas you may have. And that's where my passion is lying right now, working with students and people and teachers who feel like maybe they can't quite do the things that they want to be able to do. And I want to help them to show what's possible for themselves. How are you doing that for yourself? Well, a lot of it is considering that I am my own audience member. So I need to kind of sort of please myself first, if you want to think about it like that. Um, in some ways, we tell students when they write and writers to write for another audience. Well, if we're not writing for ourselves first, then what can happen is, is we can lose focus. There can be lots of pulls on attention, and those pulls on attention can drag you away a little bit, maybe from what you might want to do for yourself. And so what I'm going to do here in the next few months 
is change that focus from just only helping other people and being saying yes to every little thing that comes along and starting to say yes to some of the things that um, I want to do. It's a different sort of a, a boundary um, that I'd like to set up for myself. Um, it seems perhaps self-serving. However, a lot of those ideas move themselves in a direction where other people find that they can receive help and, uh, and some inspiration from that as well. Interesting, you've received rave reviews as a teacher and I read your book or your co-authored a book on writing and approach. And I wish you'd share some of the things, not the whole book, but some of the things that it's important that the student, whoever they are, and I believe teachers become students themselves, right? Mm -hmm. If you believe in growing throughout your life and you're in a classroom, you're growing some way. Um, yes. But what, what do students or colleagues have to find in themselves to start with? I think what happens typically around junior high is that students go from doing things for themselves, reading for themselves independently, writing for themselves independently, receiving a whole lot of praise for the work that they're doing. And then right around sixth, seventh, eighth grade, we start to attach something to those, those work that people enjoy doing, and those are grades. And so right around that time period of life, those grades become markers of, well, I like doing this thing, but did you see what I got in that? I'm not really very good at it. Or I got something on that and I didn't really try very hard and it didn't really interest me, but I got a good grade, so I guess that's something. Um, and I think it's important to have students shift that focus. So in the book that I co-offered with Dr. Troy Hicks, we kind of start thinking about what are the goals that students have for themselves as learners? Schools, teachers, the whole system of education can provide lots of goals for students. However, research tells us that if we are not providing goals for ourselves, then we really don't care about the goals that other people have for us too much. So I asked students to kind of tap into that first. So instead of me saying to them as their teacher, these are the things you're going to learn. I switched that around and I asked them to say, what are some things as a reader, writer, and critical thinker that you might want to explore for yourself? And a lot of times students will say, I'm not, I don't read, I don't write. And I say, well, that's, that's not true. You might think about that from a school perspective where you don't like to do those kinds of things perhaps. However, I see you on your phone. <laughs> you tap into the internet, you watch YouTube, you are reading the world, you're reading me, you do like to read, so we can come to that agreement. And by the way, you do like to write as well because you're again on Snapchat, you are texting your friends, you are writing. So what's the, what's, what is it that you really don't like? Because it's not reading and writing. <laughs> you don't like the way that school is handling reading and writing for you because we are giving you goals that you might not have for yourself. So to help students walk through that, I asked them to choose goals for themselves and then we work to try to meet those goals. Now, it doesn't always mean that we have giant leaps, uh, but what it does mean is we, mean, we have small sort of increments of growth along the way. And those small little increments of growth, if we pay attention to them, that can be very motivating. Um, if you think about, there's, a, there's an idea called the fresh start effect. And what that means is, uh, think about when you start something new, you have a plan for yourself. It may or may not come true the way you want it to, but if you follow a process and you follow a routine and you create certain habits for yourself, it will begin to emerge. This happens a lot of times if we think about uh, New Year's resolutions, for example, or maybe 
starting something, right? A lot of people say, I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to get stronger for my New Year's resolution. And then they go to Planet Fitness. And then they're really upset because everything at Planet Fitness is taken up and they can't even do the goals that they have. But if you ask the fitness trainers, they will tell you, well, wait six weeks. <laughs> because no. people will get out. Their goals will start yes. to go away because it's work. It's hard. It's challenging. And if we can ask that of our students the same way, especially meeting their goals, they see that the hard work that they put into something is a worthwhile challenge, something that is selected for them, not something that is chosen for them to do. Do you find that uniformly successful or certain kind of personalities flourish more that way than other kinds? What I'm thinking about is uh, some people are big talkers and so it comes out in their writing. Some people are more quiet or thoughtful or whatever. And so they may have less to write, fewer sentences, fewer ideas maybe, or maybe they just don't enlarge. It seems it's difficult to talk to two different types. So two years ago, I took a job at an alternative education building uh, for Clare Public Schools and use the same processes, use the same protocols, use the same goal setting oriented learning teacher, excuse me, learner oriented thinking. And what I found was students who are willing to kind of trust the process because it feels different than what school quote unquote should be. If you're willing to trust the process, you're willing, you're going to see the results. And we see this not just in education, you see this in uh, using these sort of cliched ideas, uh, weight loss programs. If you, if you stick to the diet, you're going to see results. If you stick to lifting weights in a way that you want to, you're going to see the results. If you stick to those things with habits and routines, results are going to come. So to answer your question, is it universally kind of does it work? And, and my short answer is yes. But we also are working with human beings, right? We could say teenagers, but we're working with human beings. I like to say that a little bit better because adults do the same types of things. Unless we make those decisions for ourselves and then we want to go ahead and do the work and when the work gets hard, we're willing to kind of get over those humps and move ourselves forward, we begin to see some changes. Um, and I'm gonna share something real quick with you that I think is kind of interesting today. Um, I received, about five years ago, I wrote a letter to myself. Um, there's a, a computer program called futureme.org and I wrote a letter to myself. I didn't know it was going to pop up. It popped up in my email today, Jim. And what's interesting about that letter is it said, I hope you are doing well. I hope that you're achieving all that you want to achieve. I hope you've written that book that you said you were going to write. I hope you're able to teach in a way that is inspiring others. And I hope that you continue to find what drives you in your passion. What I think is really interesting is that letter popped up today in my meeting with you here for this interview. And to think that what we put out into the world and what we put out into the universe, and those goals can shift and they can change, but they can also come true. But they don't come true unless we put it out there first. If we just wait for it to come to us, it's probably not going to happen. If we put that out there and then we work toward reaching those goals, which by the way, I forgot I even wrote that letter five years ago, <laughs> then these things are more likely to happen. And I see that in my students and their work as well. 
can you get the same effect if you just speak it or is the writing part of it the important part of putting it out in the world are there well, other ways there's the doing <laughs> i mean yes you can speak it yes you can write it you can tell everything everybody all about it you can create yourself a board of goals but you also have to do the work you also have to put yourselves in position in, in position to do those types of things because we're humans so we forget and in those forgettings we go right back into our comfort zones so a lot of the goals that we set for ourselves are moving ourselves outside of our comfort zones and when you're outside of your comfort zone it feels anxious it feels strange it feels like maybe you don't belong it feels a whole lot of things but as long as you continue to work through, that's where the learning starts to happen. That's where the growth starts to happen. And that's where you begin to create new comfort zones for yourself. Do you find you have to, or do you even teach an outline and how to write a paragraph or assume that they know that or it's not important to know? So I talk to my students about this, them too. I don't talk to them as my students. I talk to them about them as authors and as writers. So as a writer, what is it that you're trying to say and what do you want to write about? Once you have that, then I ask them to create what are called talking points. I suppose you could think about that as like an outline, but we just do some free writing for a while to kind of figure out what it is that that student is thinking about and writing about. And then topics begin to emerge. Once those topics emerge, we have a bunch of talking points, which can become paragraphs, probably more than five. And we really start to dig into things that students want to say about the particular topic that they have. When it comes then to go back and look at structure and look at um, how students are putting these things together in a rhetorical faction, that comes a little bit later. My first idea is let's get their ideas down first. However we get them down, let's get them down. I talk about it as uh, as being like a sculptor. I talk to, I talk to my students about what it means to throw a pot. And if you've ever worked with a pottery wheel, um, you start with a lump of clay, sometimes really badly formed lump of clay. That's what I want students to start with, with their writing is a lump of clay. And then we can shape and we can smooth and we can um, add designs and we can get it to a spot where we want it to be fired. And that's kind of like that finished product. But there's a lot of revising that goes on before you get to that fired product. Do you think, uh, when I think of topics, there are all the trendy ones, but I think people have, students like adults have different concerns, you know, is dad gonna stop drinking? You know, is mom gonna stop hitting me? Whatever, you know, I have this perfect life, but why doesn't someone hear me? Or mm -hmm. whatever, those are, are very, like the me decade, it, it's very personal. Do you lean in one direction or another in terms of their picking a topic? Because in their lives, they'll have to talk about or write about public topics. For the most part, I want students to begin to kind of see themselves as writers first and kind of follow, follow the topics that they want. Now, when we're talking about writing, um, in like the Potter's Wheel version, I'm talking about a larger sort of piece of writing. You might call it an essay, you might call it a digital story, or you might call it a larger piece of writing like that. But we also, I also encourage students to do independent writing too. Oftentimes it turns into the form of poetry. And in poetry, students are able to talk about many of the topics that you are, that you're talking about with 
challenges with how they are seen, how they want to be seen, where they are in the world, um, and things like that. And in that writing of poetry, what's nice is they're playing with language. They're also ex experiencing some vulnerability with writing and with putting words down. And it helps them actually to open themselves up more to see that what they are thinking about and what they are trying to accomplish does have value and it has worth. And that helps them to write those larger pieces as well. You mentioned uh, uh, the com uh, that it's a complex relationship between writing and talking. What did you mean? If I were, let me say it like this. If I were to speak grammatically correct, it would sound unnatural. And yet when we write, if we write and there's more of an attention to grammatically correctness or trying to write words down in a certain way, then it's, it seems actually more natural that way. So if I were just to kind of speak it out, we have one way of talking. This interview is a good example of it. If we were to write out what we were saying to each other ahead of time, it would look quite a bit different, mainly because like playing an instrument, when you're learning how to do something, there are mistakes that come along the way pretty easy. You're not going to hit quite the right note, but once you practice your way through, you begin to hit the right note, you hit the right pitch, you hit the right tone, and writing is that same way too. I think we can get better at both, but I think they are, they are interconnected, but I don't think that they're the same. Uh, you talk about the importance of someone caring. What, what are examples of that? Or maybe just do it in your classroom. Well, you know, school can be a really hard place to be, especially when you're in high school, because the world is telling you one thing and you're experiencing another. And when you go through school and education system, sometimes the education system can feel very black and white it can feel like it's, an, it's working against you. You know, teachers and principals, and I don't know an educator who wouldn't say that they care for their students because they do. They wouldn't be in the profession if they don't. However, caring shows itself in lots of different kinds of ways. Caring shows itself in the environment that you create in your classroom. Caring shows itself in how you interact with students. Caring shows in the classroom with how you understand maybe the hardships that a student is going through and then you dovetail what, what they're learning to meet their needs where they are at. Caring shows up with students in lots of different kinds of ways. Caring shows up and saying, hey, you didn't do so well this time, but why don't you try that same thing? And here are a few tips I'm going to give you. Do the same thing and you can get the same score and we won't deduct points for being late, deduct points for being tardy, and you can continue to work because in school, we're learning, right? So learning is a process. And in any process, you're only doing it right if you are making mistakes. If it's perfect all the time, then I guess you're not really learning because you already have it figured out. Um, so caring shows up that way. I think about a, an infant learning to speak. We think it's really cute when it's, you know, kind of guru gaga language, but we don't judge, we don't grade, we don't punish. We just continue to encourage. And that's what we talk a lot about in the classroom and the book is how we can encourage you um, because it is so easy when you're doing hard things to get discouraged and then stop. And then you begin to identify as maybe not being a person who can do those things. 
which isn't true, but you begin to believe those things when you start to tell them to yourself or when uncaring situations tell that to you yourself. It sounds like a very high level of engagement and focus. As they say sometimes, the uh, experience of being seen, but in your case, connect to that. That's very difficult to do when you have a lot of kids in the room and speaks to your desire and to your experience over time in seeing it through so it gets better because you talk about, as I believe, everybody continues to learn who wishes to. And then there's a part that talks about why you write and you have to find the heart in the why. Could you talk about that? Yeah, the, the heart of the why. If you were to ask any student, if they say, well, why do you write? The first answer might be, well, because I have to. It's an assignment. And I'm being graded on this. If I don't do it, I'm not going to pass, which is a motivator for some students and not a motivator for other students. But if we get to that heart of our why, and in that particular, uh, that particular lesson that we do, I ask students to think about the topics that are trending in their world and in their life at this moment. A lot of times students get pretty vulnerable. Um, I talk about poetry a whole lot in my work and in my classes. And the heart of that why is I can say confidently and express some vulnerability without exaggeration to say that poetry means so much to me because it saved my life. Writing words. Say more about that, will you? Would you? Yeah, yeah, I will. And writing words and having an outlet and being able to take something, my inner thoughts, my inner feelings, however bad they may be, and just write them down gives me an, gave me an outlet to kind of get it out. And poetry helped me to do that in small, succinct, meaningful, and emotional kinds of ways. And the beautiful mm. thing about writing poetry, when we're talking about getting to the heart of our why, is that I can do whatever I want with that because my audience is myself. And if I were to take that thing that I wrote and choose to lock it up so no one can see it, or maybe I take it somewhere and I burn it so it can never be seen again. That is my choice. I have some control over that in a, in a life that can sometimes feel out of control. So when I think about that heart of the why, that's what I'm thinking about that I want students to do. So when you're talking about a topic that's trending in your life, and students oftentimes will talk about um, LGBTQI plus issues for themselves because they're in a wondering, inquisitive phase. The heart of the why for that is, well, I have a cousin who I love and they're gay. And the world doesn't understand what it means to be gay. And that I can still love my cousin for who they are because who they are. And that is the heart of my why. So now if I know that, I have a very powerful reason to write. I have a very power re powerful reason to read. I have a powerful reason then to share out what it is that I'm thinking and learning about the world. So um, I'm a big believer in the individual mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that you don't have choice over your height or your eye color or things like that, but you do have choice on what you say and what you do. And, <laughs> and I think that's more important than the rest because you have to say um, right. on that, but I don't think right now our society emphasizes that, like it doesn't really emphasize beauty right now. Mm -hmm. um, 
as a um, positive experience or any experience. Uh, so um, when I come, does it make you, I, I read that you talk in your class sometime about your own depression. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that connects you or separates you? Connects for sure. Um, because each and every single one of us have individual battles that we're facing. Every single person. I, I think that if you, if you find someone who tells you that, that they're, they're normal and normal is they have no problems, I think it's picture perfect, there's probably something a little bit further back that they're just not recognizing or willing to lift out. And in order, in order to help students be comfortable with sharing their vulnerabilities, I better be darn well willing to do that with them too. Now, I, you know, I'm not asking them to be confessional for sure, but I am asking them to be authentic. I am asking them to be genuine. I am asking them to take an interest in themselves and their learning and the class itself. And that, that actually brings us together because now we just don't see each other as teacher, student, classmate. We see each other as who we are human beings that have had ups, human beings that have had downs and human beings who still continue to struggle and human beings who even at the age of 47 still look back at some of those things and have somehow managed to muddle through. Yes, there's a lot of that in life. I always say there are things you choose to life and to do with life and things that choose you and you just gotta get through it. Uh, one way or another, hopefully in resolution, but you really can't say. So Tom Wolf wrote this book some years ago about the me decade. And mm -hmm. I do agree somewhat that we are a state where we declare our feelings freely. Uh, but there were times in the past when feelings didn't really count publicly, but mm -hmm. it was your ability to intellectually persuade or in de declare or something like that. Um, in the experience of making it personal and therefore valuable is that critical thinking, is that um, intellectual thinking lost or de-emphasized? I, I, don't, I don't believe so. I think, that, I think that intellectual thinking is actually right in there with, um, with all of it, with individual thinking as well. Um, do we have to consider other perspectives and point of views? For, for sure. I think absolutely. It depends on kind of the audience we're talking to. It depends on the subject of what we're writing about and reading about. Um, but there is, an inter, there is an interconnectedness. But you have to, I think, you to be able to take a stance on another opinion. You should probably understand yourself a little bit first, too, because otherwise you can just be swayed and pulled and in really any direction that the world chooses to take you at that time and social media we is... need to stop right there i got three seconds left you gave a wonderful interview of how to become a whole person and share it with others and i'm very grateful and i hope english teachers and parents and children follow your way thank so you I'm so out much of time but <laughs> for those i'm going to exceed it uh, uh remember go out and do something kind for someone you know and someone you don't know and repeat it every day and i'll see you next time to contact Junia, send her an email at juniadonesthespark at gmail.com. 
For more information, program schedules, and news about future guests, go to www.juniadonethespark.com. Thank you for joining us. See you next time on Junia Dones The Spark. Local productions seen on Delta College Public Media are made possible with support from viewers like you. Thank you. This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation.